So if you have your Bibles, guys, let's go back to Hebrews, the fifth chapter. We've been dealing with the subject commitment to change. Commitment to change. Change can be difficult for a lot of us as human beings. Am I right about it? Something simple as where you sit in church (laughs) can be a a detrimental thing if somebody is sitting in, quote, your seat. How many of y'all know we don't have any reserved seats here at EBC? If you're a preacher, if you get here late, you're sitting in the back. (laughs) We don't have reserved seats, amen? Uh, But but something simple as where you sit, where you sit it, can think about this for a second. There are people who, when they come to church, if, and they've been sitting there for 30 years, if somebody is sitting in their seat, it doesn't matter that that person just got saved, they're excited for the Lord, and they're coming to learn some things and, and to grow in their faith, but, but you're sitting in my seat. And you got to get up because I can't, I can't hear no songs. I ain't talking about no Lord fighting my battle because you in my seat. I mean, something mundane is sitting there in a seat can, can when, it's, when it's upset our apricot, when somebody went to sit somewhere else, we feel strange because change is something that a lot of times as human beings we resist. But I got to tell you something. As a born-again believer, you were built for change. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to share with you that he requires us to, to, to be in an ever mindset of being changeable or to be transformative. God does not want to leave us like he found us. And I'm so glad he doesn't. I'm so glad that he transforms us uh, and, 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 and helps us to get to where we can be following his son's example. Can I get a witness? So Hebrews chapter 5, and, and we were go- we're going to look at uh, verse number 11 and just uh, to bring us back up to speed to where we were, we talk about commitment to change. A commitment means that I am all in. I'm sold out. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to let God's plan for my life unfold while I'm here in the earth realm. So Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 11, the text says this. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain. Uh uh, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Now, guys, watch this. When you read that verse right there, the first thing that comes to my mind, and it should come to your mind, is what is it, what is it that he want to say? What, what's he want to talk about? What is it that he wants to, to, uh, to share more about, but he can't do it because of their dullness and their spiritual dullness, and they, and they don't seem to listen? What is it? So if you back up a couple of verses, uh, Let's start at verse number seven of this very same chapter because this is critically important. We get this again as the writer to to this the letter in Hebrews was sharing. He was sharing with a group of people who was who were still uh, somewhere in a, in a flux. They, they they accepted Christ, but some were still trying to hang on to the old. Y'all know what it is. How many of y'all still want to hang on to the old when the old is not even useful? Okay, come on. I need y'all to go. Are y'all listening to me today? Watch this. How many of y'all have? How many of y'all have stuff at home that's old that's not even useful for you anymore, but you won't throw it away? I, I, I need some husbands and women. Husbands, how many of y'all have wives who have clothes in the closet? Hello, somebody. Have clothes in the closet, 
and they go buy more clothes saying, I need some more clothes. And you're sitting there thinking, well, you got a gazillion clothes here. And when they buy the new, they take the old and just shuffle around, put it in the back somewhere. They hadn't worn it in 10 years. Baby, let me tell you something. You hadn't worn it in 10 years. There's a good chance you're not going to wear it now. But we, we are hesitant to get rid of stuff because somehow, some way, we just like to hold on to that thing. I mean, even if it's not useful for, for us anymore. And, and, and these Christians here were oscillating because some were trying to still hold on to Judaism, the, the tenets of the Mosaic law, and trying to use that as a mechanism to get in right standing with God when they had been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. When the cross of Calvary and Jesus Christ's crucifixion, his death, burial, and resurrection was the way that God made them right with him. But there were some because of persecution and because of uh, their, their lack of growth, their, their inability or unwillingness to change had their thinking thrown off. So watch what happens here. The Bible says this in verse number seven of this text. It says, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Jesus Christ has always existed in the beginning, was the word, the word was with God, the word what was God, the word became flesh and dwelt among men. There was not anything made that was made except the word made it. And the word was whom? Jesus Christ. So Jesus was always here. He was in the beginning. But the text says he was sitting on the right hand of the Father. But the text says even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In other words, he left the privileges of glory to come down here on earth to die a sacrificial death so that you and I could have the privilege of entering into a personal relationship with the God who created the heavens and the earth. Through that suffering, through that through that. That, that anguish that he went through from being separated from the Father, he did it all in obedience to his Father's will. So what does that tell me? There are going to be some times, guys, when God is going to ask us to commit to changing in some areas that we are reluctant to commit to changing. We're going to look at this with Moses in just a second. How many of y'all ever God has ever spoke to your spirit about doing something different, but you want to hang on to the way you've always done it? That happens in churches all the time. Churches are notorious for hanging on to tradition even when tradition keeps them from following the will of God. I don't have a problem with tradition as long as tradition don't stop, doesn't stop me from do, being obedient to God's word. And that's what happens. The Bible even says this, your traditions have made the word of God of non-effect. It's ineffective because your traditions are stronger. Traditions are a strong thing. Sometimes we do stuff the way we do it because we, that's the way we've always done it. And God says, I need you to commit to change. Watch the text here. So Jesus Christ left the privileges of glory to come down here to down earth. He, his obedience and his suffering, amen, went hand in hand. Next verse. Let's read. Come on, let's go. In this way, God qualified him, Jesus, as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Jesus Christ became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Next verse, watch, watch this. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. In other words, watch, keep on reading. Let's go. It says, there's much more we would like to say about this, about what? Jesus high priest and how it is after the order of Melchizedek. But he says it's difficult to explain, especially 
since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Now, guys, I'm going to tell you something. When you're moving with God and when, you, when you're moving with God's Holy Spirit, there are going to be some times that people who you're in relationship with, family members, church members, uh, who may be saved and may be born again, but they are spiritually dull and they don't seem to listen. And they can't grasp what God is telling you because uh, they just can't understand it because they're spiritually dull. They, they, they haven't committed to changing. Watch the next verse. Let's go. Watch this. So, so you, you've been believing so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Talking about change. You've been believing so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Next verse. Let's go. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. We have a church full of babies. Y'all know that, right? There are a lot of churches that are full of spiritual babies. Not, not, I'm not doubting their salvation, but they're spiritual babies. And because they're spiritual babies, there are certain things they can't grasp. They can't understand because they have not grown. They have refused to commit to change. Are y'all tracking with me today? So solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Now, let's, let's go to Mark, the first chapter. And th- then we're going to get to Moses' situation because I, I got to share that with you. You know, when we start this off, we, we, we told you that, that as, as, as Christians, uh, if we're going to indulge ourselves in a biblical commitment to change, there are at least six factors I told you that we need to be aware of. We, you know, we, we use the acronym ACCEPT. Uh, to bring understanding to the process of commitment to change. So if, if you're going to change, and God, God, if we go to Mark, the first chapter, and we'll, we'll start our reading, I think, around verse 17, Mark chapter 1, verse 17. We're going to see, and I told you earlier, that God saved you to change you. In other words, the mere fact that you get saved or get born again, there is a spiritual transformation that takes place on the inside of you. We're a three-part being. We're spirit, soul, and body. It's our spirit man that's reborn, okay? Our spirit man is reborn, and but we, we still have a soul realm, and we, we live in this fleshly body. It's the spirit man that becomes completely new. Our soul realm has to be, has to be, has to be grown and modeled and shaped to, 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 to where we can begin to do the things that God wants us to do in this earth realm. And so when we get the soul and the spirit man connected together, they can help the, the flesh man do what he's supposed to do. All right? Are y'all still with me? So, so let's, let's look. Um, first of all, the, the act, if you're going to experience biblical change, number one, I told you, you got the A, you got to acknowledge personal responsibility for your thoughts and actions. You got to acknowledge personal responsibility for your thoughts and your actions. Believers, I told you, won't be able to change as long as they excuse, blame, rationalize, or defend their sinful behavior. Well, you know, I got drunk. We, we was a wedding. You know, we won't celebrate the man. He was a wedding. We, we were a wedding. You know, we got we to we help, help my dog celebrate. So you got drunk at the wedding. And you're on the deacon board. You got drunk at the wedding and was flirting with every woman that came by. But it was okay because we were celebrating at the wedding. Don't excuse sinful behavior. Acknowledge personal responsibility for your thoughts and for your actions. Now, listen, I don't expect you to raise your hands, but I want you to think about this internally. Don't look at anybody else. But how many of you, since you've been born again like I have, 
have made excuses for some of the behavior that I did, and, and, and I thought I had a, a good rational reason for doing it, but it was outside the will of God. Anybody ever did that before, made an excuse for what you did, rationalize it? Well, you know, it's not time yet. Time to do right? It's always time to do right. It's always time to be biblical. So we got to accept personal responsibility for our thoughts and for our action. We have to understand that regardless of the circumstances, if we are Christians, we can respond biblically through the power of the Holy Spirit who operates in us. The second thing I told you was you got to choose to look at circumstances in the past and in the present from a biblical point of view. If you're going to commit to change, you got to look at circumstances in the past and the present from a biblical point of view. Our own human wisdom and our own feelings oftentimes, guys, hinder us from looking at things the way God wants us to. See, you, you can feel something, but your feelings don't. You, in other words, your feelings can be an indicator of where you are. It'll tell you where you are. But what I would tell you is always match your feelings with what Scripture teaches. Because there are oftentimes your feelings will be in direct opposition to what the Word of God teaches. And so a, a, a disciplined one, a disciple, a learned one uh, gets to the point to where they can be like Jesus says, Jesus, as he was agonizing over the impending crucifixion, he says, Father, if there's any other way, I'm paraphrasing, if there's any other way this, this thing can be accomplished, let this cup pass from me. But he says, nevertheless, everybody say nevertheless. Nevertheless, not my will, but what? Thy will be done. And that was Jesus' mindset. He says, listen, listen, I don't want to separate from the Father because I've always been with him. But sin, amen, separated. Because on the cross of Calvary, he says, my, my God, my God, why hast thou what forsaken me? Sin, our sins, not his. He took on our sins, and that sin caused a break or a separation between he and the Father. But he knew he had a job to do. He knew he was on task, and his, his job was to, to redeem mankind, and that called for him to take on our sins. So choose to look at circumstances in the past and the present from a biblical point of view. Next scene, we said, commit to eliminate whatever hinders biblical change. Whatever you got going on in your life that's hindering biblical change, you got to commit to getting that out of the way. Eliminate it. Eliminate it. Next, we said, exert energy toward that goal. Change is not automatic and it's not overnight. It's usually not an overnight occurrence. So it can be hard work. Can it? How many of y'all, I use the example all the time, but it's something that, that, I, that I, I had to learn and I'm still learning. You know, say for instance, uh, if, you're, if your medical physician tells you that, uh, you know, there's some things that I see in your, in your chart and in, in, in your vitals and whatever, and, and I'm going to suggest that you lose 30 pounds. I'm going to suggest, uh, as a matter of fact, I, I'm going to tell you you need to do this for your health. Anybody ever been told that before? Now, why would you get mad at the doctor for telling you what you already knew? <laughs> Do y'all ever get mad at people for telling you what you already know? Isn't, isn't that silly? Because they're trying to help you, they're trying to hurt you. But when they give you that mandate, then, then rather than doing it, you know, most of us, most people, I'm saying I'm, most, most people try to take a shortcut to get into their goal. But change requires some hard work. It, it requires, uh, uh, you know, not allowing certain things to, to, to still creep into your diet. 
I, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I, I fooled myself. Okay, can I tell you how I fooled myself? Because y'all ain't going to tell me how you fool yourself, so I'm going to tell you how I fooled myself. I fooled myself into thinking, bro, Carl, that, that, that if, if I just exercise every day, I could eat whatever I want to eat, Yvonne Barley. That's how I fooled myself. And I, would, I, was, I started walking seven miles a day. But you know what I discovered? Stomach don't start going down until you start moderating what you put in that stomach. You can still put stuff in it, but it depends on what you put in it. Hello? That will cause it to, to, to do this or do that. And just walking or just running without moderating what I'm eating. Listen, basically what I'm doing is when I exercise and eat like I want to eat, I'm canceling out the exercise. I'm just maintaining. And that's the way some Christians are. We're just maintaining. We're not experiencing dramatic transformation or change. We're just maintaining. And God says maintaining is not enough. I need you to be transformed. I need you to change. Spiritually speaking, I'm talking about. But change can be tough. I admit it, it can be tough. But we got to exert some energy toward that goal. You know, and then the next thing we said, persevere in obedience. Some people are ready to quit after one month if they don't see substantial progress. Even in your spiritual life, guys, don't, don't give up after two, two months of studying or two months of pursuing God. you got to be willing to, to persevere, persevere in obedience. And, and the last thing we said, trust God for, for the strength and the resources to change. Trust God for the strength and the resources to change. Now, guys, uh, it's true. People who want biblical change in their life must work, but they must work trusting Christ to provide the strength and the resources necessary to make those changes. Go, go with me right quick to Philippians, the second chapter, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 13. Philippians 2, verse 12 through 13. And then I got to jump. I got to jump. Got to move. Are y'all still with me? Everybody say commitment to change. Change scares a lot of people. But what I've learned in my life is when it's God-ordained change and you flow with God, he will bless your socks off. He will bless your life because you're willing to be obedient to what he tells you to do. A lot of people are okay with God as long as there's no inconvenience in their life. But I'm going to tell you, if you're following God, if you're following Jesus, you're going to be uncomfortable sometimes. Hello? You're going to be uncomfortable sometimes. Watch what the text says. This is Paul's letter to the church at, at, at Philippi. He said, the saints at Philippi. He said, dear fear, friends, you always followed me. You always followed my instructions when I was with you. Hello. Do good when the preacher's around. When the preacher's not around, you cuss like a sailor. And nowadays, people don't even care if the preacher is around. They'll cuss like a sailor with them right there. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Verse number 13 says this, for God is working. Watch this. Do not miss this. Change has to come for us realizing that it's not just us in our own willpower and our own strength and our own mindset, but it says for God is doing what? Working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I need us to read that out loud and on purpose. What does it say? For God is working in you. Make it personal. Say, he's working in me. Say, make it personal. Say, he's working in me. Say, for God is working what? In me, giving me the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Desire and the power. 
See, God gives us the desire. And see, the more you get into God's word, the more you're going to desire the things of God. The less you get into God's word, the less you're going to desire the things of God. I like what the psalmist says. I think the psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Because when you delight yourself in the Lord, that means your, his desires become your desires. For God is working in us, giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God's working in us. Now, go to, again, go, let's go to Mark, the first chapter. Here's what God's trying to do, and I'm, and I'm going to jump to Moses right quick. Because in this text here, and we read this Mark, the, Mark chapter number one. And we're going to look at verse, let's look at verse, we'll start at, uh, yeah, we'll, 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 let's read verse 17, then we'll, we'll, we'll back up just for a second. Mark chapter 1, uh, and we'll, I'll tell you, let's start at verse number 16, 16, verse 16. Y'all there with me? Commitment to change. Watch the text. Watch it now, guys. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they, for they fished for a living. They were commercial fishermen. This is how they provide for their livelihood. Don't miss this now, okay? They were fishing. They were not just out there with a cane pole on the lake at Cyprus with a cane pole or a rod and reel. These guys were commercial fishermen. And this is how they provided for their families. They would cast the nets. Look at the next verse. Let's read. It says what? Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. The KJV says, come and I will make you fishers of men. Now listen to this next part. Because radical change to their way of doing life is getting ready to come based off of this commandment or this, this, this directive that Jesus gave them. He says, the, the Bible says, and they left their nets at once. Immediately, straightway, however you want to put it, they left their nets at once and did what? Followed him. Now, again, guys, don't miss this. They were fishers. They were fishermen by trade. And when Jesus says, come, I'm going to make you fishers of men, they dropped everything and followed him. Look at this next verse. Watch this. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. Here we are, commercial fishermen repairing the nets. Because if, if your net has holes in it, when you cast it, fish are going to get through the hole, right? So they, they were mending their nets. He called them at once, and he called them at once, and they also followed him. Listen to this. Leaving their father Zebedee, Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. So this fishing business was prosperous enough, and it was it was it was growing, it was it was moving at a pace where they had to hire people to work for them. But yet the Bible says he called them and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Jesus made a call and now these guys experience immediate change. Three, three observations I want you to, these are not in your notes, but just jot these down. Three observations uh, that can be made from this initial call. Because God, what Jesus is doing, he's calling them to change. And when God saves you, he's calling you to change. He's calling you to a life of transformation. And that's constant. First thing I, I want you to just jot down. Number one, a disciple follows Christ. Everybody say a disciple follows Christ. Guys, 
in the first century, just, just by way of just review here, in the first century, a would-be disciple would seek out a reputable rabbi to study under uh, so that he can begin to grow in his, in his theological education, okay? So a would-be disciple would seek out a rabbi and go try to find one and say, okay, I want to sit up under you. Will you teach me? Now, after questioning the student to determine if, if, if he had what it took to be a disciple, that rabbi would issue a call to follow him. But Jesus, on the other hand, breaks that mold by initiating a call to follow him without the customary questioning of the would-be disciples. I thank God for that because, see, some of us, if, 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 we, if people had to, to call us in, some of us wouldn't make it in. If someone had, because, you know, you, okay, think about this for a second. All right, when a, 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 a university that has selective admissions makes a decision about who can enter and who cannot enter. And they do it based off of academics, uh, how involved are you in your school, would you do community service. That, that happens in, on the undergrad level. It happens on the graduate level. It happens when you go, go to medical school, whatever. They evaluate to see if they're going to accept you as a student, right? And that's what happened during the time that Jesus lived. The rabbis, would, 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 would the, the disciples would come to the rabbi and seek to try to get in and to study upon him and follow uh, his teachings and model his, his lifestyle. But Jesus was opposite of that. Jesus went looking for people to call to him. And as a matter, as a matter of fact, if you, if you study the Bible, you'll notice that, that there are a lot of people were amazed at the, at the wisdom in which the disciples taught after being filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, and you go to the book of Acts, you'll see a lot of them were amazed because they said these guys are unlearned men. They hadn't went to the seminary. These guys were old rough fishermen. These guys, one of them was a tax collector. Oh, God, an IRS person. How many of y'all like the tax man? Sister Tony, I know you were a former IRS person. We love you, Tony, but we don't like when you take our money. <laughs> Tax collectors, fishermen, people who probably would not have, had they been interviewed by the rabbis in that day, they probably would not have been chosen. But I thank God that my Jesus, amen, says whosoever will, let him come, let him come. You don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the brightest. You don't have to be the wealthiest. It, it doesn't matter. When you are willing to take up the mantle, Jesus says, I want you in my fold. Amen. He called unqualified, ordinary men at that. And additionally, Jesus called, it, it was personal. The disciples weren't asked to follow the, the Torah or even God. Jesus invites them to himself. No wise man of Israel would think of doing this Aren't you glad Jesus still seeks out men and women to follow him? So the first thing is a disciple follows Christ. Everybody say follows Christ. We are followers of Christ. I know there are people who are trying to eliminate Jesus Christ. So if you, if you go and pray in a public event, don't say Jesus Christ. You can pray to, as a matter of fact, some events you go to, and I, I tell them all the time, if I go, if you ask me to pray, I'm going to pray like I've been taught to pray. So if you don't want, if you, I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. I'm going to call his name, and if, and if the Holy Spirit hit me, I, I may get a little bit loud. I may get, I may get a little undignified. <laughs> now, Lord! 
But, but, but in this culture that we live in now, it's, you know, don't say Jesus because if you say Jesus, you may offend somebody. My God, where have we gone to? Let me, uh, baby, let me tell you something. We, get, we are saved through Jesus Christ. He said in John 14, I believe it's verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Listen, Jesus said that if I believe what the Bible says, then I got to believe that Jesus is the way to get to God. So I'm, I'm going to keep preaching Jesus. I'm not going to water down the gospel because somebody's feelings got hurt. Listen, I can go to an event and if a Jewish man prays, he prays the way he prays, hey, it, it ain't bother me because I know who I am. If a Muslim guy prays, he prays the way he prays, it ain't going to bother me because I know who I am in Christ Jesus. Oh, so you better get to know who you are and be confident in who God made you to be. So, so a disciple follows Christ. Second thing, I want you to jot down, a disciple is formed by Christ. He not only follows Christ, but he's formed by Christ. The word make in the KJV is, 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 is a future promise from Jesus that will happen by his authority. Become, I'm going to make you to become fishers of men. Listen, God's going to transform us by his power and by his spirit. Spiritual discipline, such as reading the word, memorizing scripture, praying, fasting, silence, solitude, and sharing our faith accomplish that very thing in our life. When we, when we begin to incorporate those spiritual disciplines in our lives, then we begin to see transformation in our life. We don't just do it just to be doing it. We'll be doing it because it's helping us to be transformed. So a disciple is formed by Christ. And third, a disciple is focused on others. A disciple is focused on others. That's one of the things that we've been harping on around here, uh, particularly this past year, is, is we need to make disciples. And a disciple is concerned and he's focused on others, not just on himself. Are you with me? Uh it's interesting that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus uh, he, didn't, he didn't promise, follow me and I will make you rich, happy, wealthy, healthy, prosperous, and successful. And there's nothing wrong with being rich, happy, wealthy, prosperous, and successful. God saves all kinds of people. But, but that's not what he promised. He says, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Being full-time fishermen, guys, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Fishing was hard work that didn't always produce a catch. And when you're a disciple and you're reach, trying to reach people, there are going to be some times when you're going to share some things that, with them that they're not going to receive it. And you got you to keep, keep throwing the net. Keep throwing the net. Keep planting the seed. You may not ever see the fruit of the seed that you plant, but somebody else will come along in water and God will give the increase. Amen? So commitment to change. These guys... Just those, those initial four that Jesus called, they left their livelihood to follow the master. They left. That, that was radical change. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, and, and, and sometimes God will call people to radical change like that. Oftentimes, I've, I've discovered that God will use you right where you've already been working. Um, some of y'all are in places of employment that God wants to use you in that workplace to minister to people who you would otherwise not come in contact with where you're not in that place of employment. So, so, so I've, I've, I've said it before, y'all heard me say it, that Christians ought to be the best employees on the job. Let me say it again. Christians ought to be. Now, the operable word is ought to be. I have enough sense and I've been around long enough to know that some of us can be the worst employees on the job. Ruining our testimony. 
telling people that God is good and we, we serve an awesome God, but then we work like we don't even know God. The Bible says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. So that includes your place of employment. We ought to be the best people on the job, the most loyal, the most dedicated people because we're committed to working not for the person, but working for God. Because whatever we do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. All right, so, so commitment to change. So let's, let's look at Moses right there because Moses, uh, again, when we, when we begin to examine him uh, in his life and begin to see how God used him to, 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 to help transform and deliver his people, Moses had to go through a process of, of transformation because Moses was reluctant, just like many of us are reluctant to, to change, reluctant to eat something different. I remember when I first met my wife, Maria, and we were, you know, we were dating. Um, she grew up on greens and cornbread. And <laughs> greens, cornbread, and sweet potatoes, and, and you know, peach, <laughs> yeah, peach cobbler, uh, chicken, and, you know, just basic, good, wholesome country food. Her mom was one of the best cooks I believe on this side of heaven. That's why I got bigger when I got married. I guess you got to blame somebody, right? But she was living with us and she was cooking early on when she was cooking for us. You know, you come home from work and, and food is already ready. What am I supposed to do? Well, you tell me, what am I supposed to do? I ain't want to hurt her feelings. Jerry, so I, I ate. But but I remember very vividly when we would, um, I would say, because the first time I ever ate Chinese food was when uh, I started working at the bank, at Commercial National Bank, and some of my coworkers, Yvonne, you probably remember this, some of my coworkers took us out, uh, we went out to lunch, and, and it's the first time I really ate Chinese food. And, I, and then I, so I experienced that, and then started eating some other things, and then I, I tried to in, introduce it to Maria, and at first she was reluctant to eat it because it was different, it was changed. Okay, but now she'll tear some Imperial Cafe up. She'll have me drive from Benton all the way out to Yuri Drive to get us some Imperial Cafe Chinese food. But 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 again, oftentimes we don't straightway desire the new. We've been accustomed to the old. So in order to get us to desiring the new, God has to sometimes take us through a process to, to, to get our appetite strong for him to get our appetite to a place where we are desiring his things. So let's look at Moses right quick. Uh, if we will, let's go to Exodus, the third chapter. And in chapters three and four of the book of Exodus, God convinced Moses to commit to something that Moses didn't want to do. And that's namely to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. How did God motivate Moses to move? How did God get Moses to commit to change. And that's something that we got to realize because in our life, guys, we're dealing with people sometimes that, that have been accustomed. They've been stuck in their old ways. They've been used to doing church the way they've always done church. And they've been used to uh, what a little evangelism they do do, uh, which most Christians aren't testifying. They aren't sharing the faith. Uh, they, they, they have a certain way of doing it. But God is saying in this day and time that we live in, I need I need some disciples. I need some ones who will commit to change. I don't, God says it's enough of just having good church members. 
God wants to make disciples. And disciple making, if you go indulge in that process, it's going to cause for all of us to commit to change, to doing things differently. All right? In the way God wants it done. All right? Are y'all with me? So, so let's, let's go to Exodus, the third chapter. And we'll, we'll begin our reading it. Um, let's start at verse one for good measure. Come on, let's go. One day Moses was, was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. Y'all know the story how Moses was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, right? And then uh, he saw some, some, some injustice happening with one of the Egyptians and one of the Hebrew slaves. And so Moses ended up going and, and taking the guy out. Moses, Moses saw, you know, Moses had, had, had a leaning toward his, 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 his countrymen, uh, his, his natural born uh, ethnic group, the, the Hebrew, the Israelites that were there in slavery in Egypt. And so because of that, he, he, that, that murder that he committed, he, 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 he took off from Egypt. And he was spent 40 years on the backside of the desert. And it's always amazing. And we talked about this before when we preached a sermon series uh, about a year or two ago, how it was that God, even as Moses was on the backside of the desert, God was helping to transform him and get him ready for this journey of faith that he has for him. And even after 40 years on the backside of the desert, guys, Moses didn't think he was ready. But God said it's time. There are going to be some things that God's going to require of you to do. You're going to think it's not, I'm not ready for it yet. Uh, well, this ain't, it's not me, but God says it's time. Some things aren't going to happen until you decide to move. Are y'all with me? Some things aren't going to happen until you take the first step of faith. Until you say, I don't understand it. I don't have a, a grasp of everything that's going to go on, but God, I know you're urging me to move in this direction and I'm going to step out by faith. I know what I'm going to do what I know you're telling me to do. I don't understand the consequences of all. I don't know what all you're going to do through this step of faith, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to just step out by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things that are what? Not seen. If you, if you expect to walk by faith and see everything, you know, that's not faith. Know what God's word says, step out on God's word, and then watch God reveal it as you move forward. The text says, so Moses was sent to the flock of his, his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Now watch what happened. He has an encounter with God, guys. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. See, God can work in miraculous ways. Now, not that I've, I've seen uh, in, the, in the scripture anywhere else, and I hadn't heard about it in, in history where God has spoken through a burning bush before, but he did with Moses here. Watch what the next verse says. Let's go. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Text says, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a close, close look, God called him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Text says what? Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Now watch this, guys. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Some of y'all say, I want to see God. You probably really don't. (laughs) (laughs) Do you not know every instance in the Bible where men encountered angelic beings? They just, they were, they just went down on their knees and they were all distraught. They was like, get away from me. I'm filthy. I'm nasty. I'm sinful. 
See, when you get into the presence of a holy God, you're going you're gonna to know and your, 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 your sinfulness and your state of, of depravity will come to the surface at such a great level that you'll be shamed and embarrassed. It's kind of like when you, when, you, when you messed up royally and had to go before your parents. I, let me see the hands of all kids who've done something crazy and that was outside of your parents' will. Let me see your hands, kid. Come on, come on, kiddos. Come on, raise those hands right quick. Uh, some of you adults, too. I'm going to adults, too. See, see, kids, y'all look around and see your, your parents were in your boat, too. And then you had to go before your parents when you knew that they had told you to do something, not to do something, or told you to do something, you didn't do it. And did, didn't you feel awful? In the words of Brother Carl Jones, ain't it awful? <laughs> it's awful when you go before God and your, even your parents and you know that you messed up royally. But there's no greater feeling than to know that God loves you enough to forgive you, to forgive us. And says, my son's blood covered that. And I'm going to wash it as far as the east is from the west. You can come back into my presence. Because I, 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 I sent the ultimate sacrifice to die for you. Now watch this. Let's, let's move. Uh, then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cri- cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land of where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Louisianaites. That ain't in there, but I just thought it sounded good. <laughs> The Bozerites, no, whatever, whatever. The land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused. And now watch this, guys. First thing I want you to just kind of make a mental of it. We're going to skip to verse number 12. First thing is, how did Moses get, how did God get Moses to commit the change? First, number one, through his promise. Through his promises. When people understand, guys, when people understand the character of God, his faithfulness, his honesty, his absolute holiness, they discover that his promises are towers of strength in which they can take refuge. Believers, we need to explain God's promises to people and apply those promises in a practical and relevant way. So, so, So first of all, he got him to commit the change through his promises. What does God's word say? There are a lot of churches who've, who've, who've backed off of the inerrancy of scripture. And there are a lot of churches who've gotten away from Bible teaching and Bible preaching. But I'm here to tell you, listen, I, 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 love, I love to take the word of God, know what it says doctrinally, and know what it says practically. I like the way the Apostle Paul, when he wrote his letters, he would start out a letter in the first part of it, giving you doctrinal truths, what to believe. And then he would follow it up with corresponding action, how to apply that doctrine in everyday life. In other words, the how-tos of the doctrine that you believe. Telling you what to believe and then telling you how to respond and how to act. And guys, I'm going to tell you something. That's, that's crucially important because if you, if you leave out sound biblical doctrine and teaching, you are susceptible to being confused by the enemy with stuff that sounds like it's God, but it's not God. Are you with me? So, so don't throw away your Bible for a, self, 
self-help message. You need some sound doctrinal teaching, but that doctrinal teaching also needs to be backed up with corresponding action. What do I do with what I just learned? When you leave here, I want you to know what should I do with based on what I just learned. Because it, it applies to every area of your life. It's going to apply to husband and wife when you go home. All right? If you're going to commit to changing your, your marriage relationship, you got to commit. you got to be all in. You can't be halfway in. The Bible says the two become one flesh. You can't become one flesh in everything except this over here. That's my little secret thing over here, and I can't let you get in right over there. I can't let you in. I got my own money. You got your own money. Let me come over here. I got this account. I'm not going to tell you anything about it because that's mine. And just in case we don't make it, I got my own stuff. That's not two becoming one flesh. And that's why you're struggling, whatever the area is. Some of y'all won't come together on how you're going to rear the children. Well, especially if it's a blended family. Blended families struggle sometimes because people are like, well, that's yours and it's mine. I've I've said this to every blended couple that I've married. I said, listen, if you're going to take the person, the child comes with them. Are y'all listening to me? And I'm telling you, people struggle with this because they haven't understood that that when it comes to a covenant relationship with God, the marriage relationship is two becoming one flesh. And there's no way you can halfway become one. In other words, if if you try to halfway do it, you're not really becoming one flesh. That's why you struggle. So I want to help you not struggle. So somewhere along the line, you got to trust somebody. And if you're married to somebody you can't trust, woe is you, you better learn how to trust. Okay? And give them something to trust, okay? Don't you be acting a fool. You need to trust me. You're acting a fool. And you did it again. And you keep on doing it. Give them something to trust. Is that fair enough? Y'all know I love you when I talk to you like that, don't you? I'm not talking about anybody individually. I'm just saying, as a general rule, I've been around this thing long enough to know that sometimes we struggle because we don't, we're not all in. We're not, we haven't committed to change. We're not willing to do this word fully and completely. We only want to do it when we, when we feel like, okay, uh, well, maybe, maybe I'll do that, but, you know, I can't do that because I was hurt before. How many of y'all have been hurt by somebody who loved you? As a matter of fact, really, if you're honest about it, most of the times, people that don't, that don't really know you... <laughs> They can say stuff about you, but they don't really get you like somebody who, you know, y'all grew up together. Y'all live in the same house or you're in the same family. When your brother, when, think about Joseph, guys. When your brothers sell you into slavery because they don't like you because you're your father's favorite, that could be detrimental. That could mess with your mindset, couldn't it? But Joseph, the Bible says the Lord was with him, and he caused whatever he, he did to prosper, okay? So through his promises, okay, let's, let's, let's keep moving. He gave, look at verse 12 of, 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 of Exodus. He says, God answered, because Moses, Moses, I'm, I'm, I'm going to run through this guy, so y'all read it when you get home. Moses began to, to kind of, you know, give some reasons why he wasn't the one <laughs> to go and deliver. He says, you know, because God had told him, I'm going to be with you. But, but Moses says in verse number 11, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Now, he's going back to where he had came from because he was raised in Pharaoh's palace. All right? But yet he's been 40 years on the backside of the desert. But God told him, God says, I'll be with you in this. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. Don't y'all miss this. Watch this. 
Because this is God calling those things which be not as though they already are. He says, God answered, I'll be with you. Now, listen, the sign that he gives them is a promise. And that's what God's going to give you. It's a promise. Some of us looking to see it first before we move. If you see it first, it don't require faith. Are y'all with me? If you can see it, it doesn't require faith. And the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. He that come to God must believe that God is and that God is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Watch this. He gives a promise. I will be with you. Now listen to this. My first word, it just tripped me out. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. What's the sign? When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. What kind of sign is that, God? <laughs> Listen to what he tells them. He says, here's your sign. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. You know, I would, I would expect that God said, well, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. Okay, when you go down there, I got an army of 50,000 that's going to come from the east. I got an army of 100,000 that's coming from the west. And I got an army of a million that's coming from the south. And all of them are going to rush in together. And they're going to take Pharaoh out and deliver the people. That's not what he said. He said, here's your sign. When you bring them out, you're going to worship here at this very mountain. What God is saying here is, my word is stronger than anything in the earth realm. My word, when I give it, it does not return unto me void. If I speak a thing, it'll come to pass. And what God is saying is, listen, I I want you to know, here's the promise, that when you bring them out, you will worship God at this very mountain. Wow. Skip down to 17 and 18 right quick. It says, I promise to rescue you from the oppression in Egypt. I will lead you into a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, there they go, go all those ites again, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Bentonites, the Plain Dealanites. It doesn't say that, but you know. All them folk. The land where they did not live. Verse 18, let's read. It says what? The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, so please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifice to the Lord our God. So first of all, he gave him promise. You will not, you will not be successful in moving with God until you learn to stand on his promise. And you, will, you can't stand on his promise until you, first of all, know his promise. And you won't know his promise if you don't get into his word. Too many, listen, I, I've been around long enough to know, 32 years of passion here and, and been saved longer than that, that there are people who try to take a shortcut with God. They're like, well, you know, I don't really need to read the Bible. Uh, you know, that's, that's for those folks who want to become preachers. That's for those folks who want to become missionaries. You know, I'm just going to be in that. That I'm going to be that member that shows up. I'm going to listen, Pastor. I'm going to hear what you're saying. I'm going to apply some of that stuff you're saying. But you know what? I'm not going to study my Bible like that. As a matter of fact, Pastor, why are you having us doing this class that has us doing this homework? I didn't, I, when I got to school, I swore to myself I'd never go back to school. <laughs> Guys, Jesus called all of us, not just the preacher. As a matter of fact, the fivefold ministry gift is designed to equip the body the lay people to do the work of the ministry. And so it's going to require some study time. It's going to require you to get into this word. And I promise you, the more you get into it, this is not a word, but I'm going to say it. 
So I know I'm not grammatically correct when I say that, but just humor me, humor me just for a second. It's going to get gooder and gooder. <laughs> Everybody say gooder and gooder. The more you get into God's word, the more you become adapted to it, and the more you begin to learn it, the more you begin to discuss it, the more you begin to get revelation knowledge, and the more God opens up things to you. So through his promises, first of all, he gave him a promise. Second thing, by giving him concrete and attainable goals. Concrete and attainable goals. God told Moses exactly what he wanted him to accomplish. He didn't overload Moses with unattainable goals. Let me say something to you guys. When God asks or leads you to do something, you can bet that you have the capacity to do whatever he's leading you to do. Now, now, now having the capacity does not negate the need to be trained. Amen? And sometimes people aren't sure what they're being asked to do, and they're not sure whether they can accomplish it. But I'm tend to tell you, if God is leading you to do a thing, he's equipped you with the capacity to do it. It may be just a matter of you getting trained in, to be more proficient in what he's called you to do. But he, when he calls you, God calls us in line with our gifting because all of us have spiritual gifts, okay? So by giving him concrete and attainable goals. Y'all with me? Third thing, I'm just going through this real quickly, okay? Because God told Moses, say say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your, verse 15, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So God gave Moses specific instructions, Okay? He gave Moses specific instructions uh, about how to accomplish these goals. Guys, I I believe that our counseling of fellow believers falls short if people don't know how to achieve the things we challenge them to do. Okay? Uh, You know, again, one one thing I've learned in counseling is you got to give people things, attainable assignment, things that that they can begin to put into practice to, to show up what you've been teaching them. So God gave Moses specific instructions. Uh, fourth thing is God showed Moses evidence of divine power. And you see this in the fourth chapter. I'm not, I'm not going to, y'all, you know, the, I'm going to challenge you to go and read he, Exodus chapters three and four. When Moses threw his staff to the ground, God turned it into a snake. And when Moses picked it up by the tail, it became a staff again. Then God told Moses to put his hand uh, uh, in his bosom and it became leprous like slow, snow. When he pulled out, it, it was healed. A vision of God's great power from the scriptures or personal experience is something all, sometimes that's all that's what's needed to motivate somebody to, to move with God. Tell somebody your story. Be willing, can't nobody tell your story like you can? You know what God has done for you. So you have a testimony, share that with somebody. Tell what the Lord has done for you. God showed Moses evidences of divine power to say, listen, I'm, here, I'm with you. This, 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 this staff turned to a snake is just one evidence of, of the miracles I'm going to perform when you go down to Egypt. Fifth thing is by redirecting his focus. He motivated and he got Moses to commit to change by redirecting his focus. Moses used his own inadequacy as an excuse for not doing what he had been called to do. But God redirected his outlook from, from, from his inadequacy to divine sufficiency. Even Moses saying, you know, I, 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 God, God, I, I, can't, I can't talk that well. I, 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 I stutter. God says, take Aaron with you. He'll talk for you. Is that right? He said, take, take him with you. He'll talk for you. He'll, he'll say, see, see every, every excuse that we have for why we can't do what God has told us, God says, listen, I got I a I I pathway for you to do it. 
He's looking for us to become disciples. So he did it by redirecting his focus, guys. Look at Exodus 4. Come on, I got to finish. Exodus 4, verse 10 and 12 with him right quick. Let's read it right quick. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. And y'all, listen, guys, I am the least likely person to be doing what I'm doing today. I'm telling you, I am the least likely person to be up here preaching the gospel for 55 minutes. Yeah, 55 minutes. <laughs> I, I used to, couldn't talk for five minutes. I'm, I'm, I mean, I was shy in, in nature. I'm, I'm really, I really was. And, I, and still sometimes I have to battle that a little bit now. But, but when God called me the pastor, how, how am I going to preach if I, won't, if I can't talk? <laughs> so, so, so it's obvious that I've overcome that, right? But watch this. Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never, I have never been, and I'm not now. That's what some of y'all say. I can't teach. Uh, uh, you, uh, 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 me? Leader, facilitator, discussion? Not me. I, I've never been good at that. Well, if God is calling you, guess what? He knows where, exactly where you are. He said, I'm not very good with words. I've never been, and I'm not now. And even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. Verse 11 and 12, I just shared with, then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Watch this. Next verse is what? Now go. I'll be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. Moses, so, 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 so God had to redirect his focus. And lastly, he, 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 he got Moses to commit to change by a description of God's character and his plan. Look at verses 15 through 18. And, I, and I'm finished. Because, guys, we got some more on this change thing. Because God is trying to change EBC. God don't want you to come back after this pandemic and do ministry the way you've always done it. Do you all hear me? God wants us, as a body of believers to be an a, a active force that he uses to engage the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. No longer should church be a place that we just come to just to come and say, hey, we learned something, we had a good time, the youth did this, and we did that, and we married this. This is a, this is a training ground for disciples, for the disciple-making process. Watch this. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to, be, to remember for all generations. Look at this. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Call leadership. Tell them Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He told me I have been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from the oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to the land full of milk and honey, the land with, of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Bentonites, the Shreveportites, the Bozerites, all those folks. I didn't, that's not in there. Y'all know that, right? Okay. I promise to rescue you from the oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land full of milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites. He keeps repeating this. 18, look at this. Watch this. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him the Lord, the God of Hebrews, has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Moses was reluctant to this change that God was putting upon him. But once God gave him a promise, 
Once he gave him concrete and attainable goals, once he gave him specific instructions, once he gave Moses evidence of divine power, once he redirected his focus, and once he gave him a description of God's character and plan, Moses stepped out on that journey to go and tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. Now, my question to you today is, what is God calling you to do? And what changes do you have to make to flow with God? What friends are you going to have to separate yourself from because they are detrimental to your spiritual growth? Some folks you can't hang with because they influence you in a negative way, in a negative fashion, and you got to pull away until you get strong enough to go back in and get them. Is it a career change? Is it, is it, is it, uh, is it going back and, and, and dealing with that situation that you never forgave that person for and now it's still hindering you from being all that God? Whatever it is, I don't know. All I know is God says it's time for all of us, me, you, all of us, to commit to change, to let his word and his Holy Spirit redirect our lives. Every head bowed, everybody closed.